Hi there, I'm talking to you. Yes, you. My name is Sherry, my pup's name is Sunny, and we're training to be an animal-assisted counseling team. You're listening to the Therapy Dog Talk podcast, the show that interviews past, present, and future therapy dog teams about how they're making an impact in their communities. Today, we're talking with Kenzie about her experience becoming an animal-assisted therapy team with her dog, Copa. We'll discuss what it's like to go through the pet partner's training and evaluation, how Kenzie has helped Copa to build his confidence, and compare notes on the differences between two animal-assisted therapy programs for mental health professionals. Before we hop in, if you're just getting started on your therapy dog journey and feeling a bit lost, I've put together a free guide for you, which you can find on my website at freeguide.therapydogtalk.com. Without further ado, meet Kenzie and Copa. Hi. Hi. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I am good. I see Copa. Just chilling. Aww. So this is our first time on a call together, even though we met on Instagram what, long ago. so long ago, early pandemic days. Honestly, yeah, when it was early pandemic days, that was, holy cow, that's wild. Yeah, that was probably about two years ago. Yeah, I think May 2020 or something in there, maybe, because yeah. Adele had started a group for therapy dogs on mm-hmm. Instagram, and we had this therapy pups of IG hashtag. And all of a sudden, there were all these cute pictures of Copa all over it. And I was like, can we invite them to this group? And they're like, aren't they already in it? And I was like, no. And they're like, yes. <laughs> so. I know. I loved it. It was so helpful, too, because I was just getting started off and didn't know what I was doing. And it was just so nice. It was. I really enjoyed it. Thank you for inviting me to it. Yeah. No, I loved it, too. I learned so much because there was such a mixture of us who – we're interested in becoming therapy dog teams, but our dogs were still little puppies, so we didn't even know if that was going to be their thing. And then there are others who are already doing the work, but kind of paused because of the pandemic. So it was, it was interesting. It was a good time. It, it was a good combination. I learned a lot for sure. Yeah, me too. So for those who don't know you, would you like to introduce yourself and Copa? Sure. My name's Kenzie. I graduated last year with my master's in social work, and I've been working for the last year as a mental health therapist, which I really, really enjoy. And Copa is two years old. He's a golden doodle, medium size, like 35 pounds. And I got him as a pandemic puppy with the hopes of having him be a therapy dog, which has been the goal overall. And he recently passed his pet partner's therapy dog evaluation. I shouldn't say he, it's a we because it is a, (laughs) they assess both of us. But he passed that and I was super excited. We haven't been able to do any official visits yet because most of them are during the weekdays when I have work. Yeah. But I am working at getting him to be approved to go to the clinic where I work, which they don't have an animal assisted therapy program yet. So this will be, I'm kind of creating the program for the clinic I work for. That's very cool. He passed the test on your birthday, right? Or like right around? Yeah, it was like right before. Birthday. I remember you were like, happy birthday to me. No, it was like, best birthday gift ever. Thanks, little dude, for keeping it together. I know. I remember we had been talking about how we were like, do they want to do this? Do they not? I don't know. Because Copa and Sunny have had similar roller coaster journeys of how they feel about yeah. life. So I was so excited for you. And he passed. And I loved what you shared about how they were really more focused on your ability to work with him and his reception to that more so than just his reaction to life in general. Yeah, he was really, really nervous starting out, which he he can get startled pretty easily. And that's pretty typical. And we've worked on that a lot. 
but he was just pretty nervous the whole time. And I was yeah. like, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? And <laughs> I mean, I was nervous too. And so I'm sure he was also picking up on that. Yeah. But it is crazy. The way that they do the evaluation is they full on have a column, one for the animal and one for you that they're judging on both sides of it. Mm-hmm. So it's not only like, oh, does the dog react? What does the handler do and back and forth. So it's really interesting to kind of see both sides of it. Yeah. And that was through pet partners, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause I know every organization tests a little differently. Yeah. And that was the main one I looked at. There's another one that's in Utah, but this one is more nationally accredited. So that's why I chose pet partners because if I do ever move out of state or anything like that, I want to be able to have familiarity with an organization that's elsewhere not just Utah. Yeah. And they support you working with your dog as a mental health professional too, correct? The way that works is a little bit interesting because I didn't technically need to have him certified through pet partners in order to have him work with me because the liability insurance that they cover is for a two hour visit only. It's a volunteer visit. Okay. So it's a whole other loop of things that I'm working through to get him to come to work with me. Because I have to have my own liability insurance and pay a little extra to have him on my liability insurance just as a practitioner. It was kind of just an extra step. I didn't necessarily need to have him go through pet partners, but it was an extra step to show the board of the clinic I work for to go, hey, he's gone through this accreditation. There you have like top-notch standards and just kind of an extra oomph of why I can bring him. Kind of weird how it works. (laughs) Well, Pet Partners, through their new sister organization, the Association of Animal Assisted Interventions Professionals, (laughs) they have a group rate for professional coverage, too, if you can't get it through your existing provider. Yeah, I've been looking at that. Even the NASW, the National Association of Social Work, has one where you can have it on there for dogs. They even have one for equine therapy, which is really cool, too. That is cool. So how did you first find out about therapy dogs? Therapy dogs in itself, I never really knew the difference. You know, you learn the difference between emotional support animal, service dog, therapy dog. I never really fully knew the difference of it, but I always had a love for animals. I always loved dogs. Got a dog when I was five years old and have never really gone without a dog. So when I was applying, decided I wanted to be a mental health therapist, got my bachelor's in psychology, chose to go into social work after talking to a lot of different professionals, whatever they decided to get their master's in. And University of Denver had a program for animal-assisted social work. That's the program that I was going for um, because I wanted to incorporate dogs and animals into therapy work because I knew the benefit that I had. I just didn't know the details of the professionality of it, of the steps to go through it. I had to learn that while I was going through my program, while I had COPA. I didn't even know every step to take. So what was going, this was the goal. Didn't really know what it meant at the time, Yeah, but just learned a lot about it. And my degree in the certificate I got from the University of Denver has been very helpful when it comes to having to create policies for starting animal assisted social work or just animal assisted therapy at the Mm -hmm. clinic to get waivers, to get, you know, different liability stuff. It's been really helpful to know all of that. 
Yeah, I've learned um, because we're on a path to animal assisted counseling. I just graduated mm-hmm. with my master's in marriage and family therapy. And actually, the reason that I'm in a hotel right now is because we're here for the animal assisted counseling academy. This week, we're doing our intermediate methods and our evaluation, which is super scary. But what I found is, and I don't know how it works for your program in terms of how many hours you need to complete to be licensed or anything like that, but. Mm-hmm. For me, I have to complete 3,000 hours before I can be licensed. And so it's been interesting looking at place to find places where we can work as an associate team. And what I'm finding is that it almost seems like you would have a better success getting an organization, agency, private practice, whatever, to understand animal-assisted therapy and creating a program there than to find one that already existed join just because... It's not new, but it's new in terms of gaining more traction because of the accelerated research in the last like seven years. So, yeah. And that's what's kind of interesting is that it is kind of new. Not a lot of people do it. I've had the opportunity to reach out to a couple different private practices and organizations in Utah that implement it and just talk with people who are in the program. How did they get it started? What went into it? Because it is a different field when you're trying to do it in a professional setting rather than a volunteer setting. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's just a little bit different of a dynamic and there's all the parts of, you know, how much are you actually going to incorporate them? How much are they just going to be in the room, be a presence there? Most liability insurances will only cover like the dog should only be actively working about an hour. Mm -hmm. So it's going, okay, if someone comes in, you've planned something, do an intervention where you're actually utilizing the animal for 10, 15 minutes and then continue the session. But just am existing in the room on their own discord of going, hey, I'm going to come over and comfort you. I'm going to go to the bed. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to go sit over here. That doesn't count towards the hour. So it's really interesting how to, you know, make sure your animal enjoys it and be an advocate for your animal too. Yeah. You're learning through the program there as well. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. That's really interesting. It's similar to, I guess, children working in film, right? Like how long they're actually allowed to be on screen. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, that's actually something I hadn't encountered yet was insurance covering like how long they're allowed to be actively working and the difference between being in the room and doing interventions. So that's really interesting to know. Yeah, and it's interesting too because you could have like a certain intervention planned with a patient of like, oh, hey, yeah, you're going to come in, we're going to do X, Y, and Z, and if they show up and the dog's not interested, it's like. Right. Today's just not the day. Like you've got to, you know, be the advocate for your dog. You're not going to force your dog to do something they don't want to do. That's even something I've put in the waiver that I've created as far as like, if the dog doesn't want to do something, if he's not in the right mindset, if he needs a break, Mm -hmm. we're not going to force him to do anything. Yeah, absolutely. And even just, you know, letting clients know that even though they've agreed to animal assisted therapy, the dog just may not be available that day because they're just they're not feeling it that day or they're having a bad day or they need a rest recovery day or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. Their sole purpose isn't just to always be there for other people. So it's, yeah. it's an interesting balance of having to advocate for your patient as well as having to advocate for your animal. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really interesting balance. Does your program incorporate more actual interventions to use? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does. In May, we met online once a week and had a whole lot of homework, just learning about animal assisted counseling and about animal welfare and a little bit of training. And then this week is intermediate methods. 
So that's why we're actually here in person and we'll learn interventions to use. And the person who runs the program is a supervisor for play therapy, for marriage and family therapy, and public counseling, I believe. So she knows interventions for all of those areas and kind of tailors it depending on like what types of clients you're wanting to work with. And then we get evaluated at the end of the week. And then if we pass that evaluation, we come back in three weeks for practicum with volunteer clients where we'll actually be under live supervision, putting that work into place. And then in September, we'll be under remote supervision for, I think it's like three months or something like that before we're fully accredited for um, AATC. Yeah, it's very extensive. And what I really like about it is the person who runs it is very involved in animal assisted therapy research, which is really, really cool. But yeah, it's interesting how it's becoming not even more common, but just more well known because there are people who have been doing this work professionally and roles like ours for as long as we've been alive, probably, if not longer. But it's just gaining more and more notoriety through more research. So. Yeah, the amount of research out there, I would say, as far as the program I did, it was a lot more research based. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't actually interventions, which I've been trying to gain my own knowledge with that as well. But yeah. a lot of it was more, what is the research base for this and the different, you know, policies, the laws in place, things to do. And that was mostly what it was about, which was helpful. It wasn't what I had expected at the time. I expected more of a, oh, hands-on, this is what you're going to do. This is how to interact with your animal, how to interact mm. with your animal and the, you know, client, the patient. And that it was much yeah. more just, this is the research. This is the information behind it. Write your own theories, do your own practicum, write a thesis on what you want to do with animal-assisted social work. Oh. So it was just interesting because it was a lot more research-based than I had anticipated. Yeah, it's helpful now that I'm actually trying to create a program within the clinic I work at, Mm -hmm. but it is trying to go through pet partners has taught me a lot of just how to do the interactions between clients and animals and kind of expanding upon that while doing also the research and the policy side on it as well. Yeah, I did pet partners online learning component, even though we're not registered through them, just because I was really interested in the training aspect of it. Yeah, that's cool. What were you looking for when you were looking for COPA? What were you looking for in a dog? I have allergies, so hypoallergenic was a big one for me. I am allergic to most nature and most animals, which is unfortunate because those are two things that I really enjoy. And I grew up with pretty much hypoallergenic dogs. So I was wanting a golden doodle was kind of a good size because I had a roommate who had a bigger dog who was an Irish doodle. And I decided I liked the bigger dog size, like that medium to big size, like good enough to go hiking with, but also, you know, small enough to kind of take places with me. So I found Copa from someone who bred dogs and I was just wanting, you know, like a good temperament, kind of a lot of exposure to different things growing up, confident, but also, you know, not overly wild, I guess. So he was actually the runt of the litter. He was like half the size of the biggest pup and they didn't think he'd get above 20 pounds. But now he's over 35. And that was my goal. I mean, I kind of let her pick of going, hey, which of these dogs do you think would be the best fit? And she picked Copa, which I was not going to go for the rent of the litter. Sorry, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) But she said it was a good fit. And it felt like a good fit to me once I saw more pictures and everything, too. Yeah. And it's just hard because I 
don't love that I got him through a breeder. So that's a conflict I have. But mm-hmm. I wanted a dog who was one, hypoallergenic, and two, was young enough that I could start training as a therapy dog just because, I don't know, I didn't know what I was doing. And I was like, I need a fresh slate, but I could also <laughs> screw it up more. So who knows? How did you know once you had him that he would enjoy being a therapy dog? He's always loved people. When we first started going to the dog park, he would instead run up to people and get attention from them rather than the dogs. Mm -hmm. And it's still, you know, back and forth, any person he sees, he loves. I've been set back just by how worried and like nervous he gets around things, but it's always inanimate objects. And I don't know why. All other animals he really is interested in, sometimes hesitant if it's like a cat or something that's, you know, not showing the best affection back. Other dogs he loves, all people he enjoys. I don't know what it is about inanimate objects that just he gets very nervous around. And so that's something I've continued to work through and it's continued to be a problem. And it's a continuous effort of having to help him build confidence around things and different cues of if he goes and sniffs something, he knows, like once he smells it, he knows it's fine. So that that cue is helpful doing agility was really helpful. I want to get back into that because that's a lot of interactions with objects and objects that are moving objects that seem scary. Mm -hmm. And that helps create a better environment for him. Yeah, but it's going to be a constant assessment of whether or not he's enjoying it, because I don't want to have him do it if he's not enjoying it. Right. And that's the biggest thing. It doesn't really matter what I want. It doesn't matter if I want him there. It doesn't matter if my patients want him there. I want him to be there and enjoy going he's got to enjoy it. It'll just be continuously assessed and having to, you know, maybe face the hard truth that if one day he doesn't enjoy it, we'll have to back off or he'll have to stop. And that would be really hard and devastating, but he would be my number one priority when it comes to that. Yeah. He's very lucky to have you and to know that you recognize that because I think so many people are, you know, just so focused on what they want to do with their dog that they forget to really pay attention to does my dog want to do this and not just in therapy work and in so many things yeah yeah they're not just there you know to serve us or do whatever if they're working dogs they need to enjoy what they're doing yeah that's something that has really been emphasized in our program too is that you don't use dogs you don't use dogs in your work they're partnering with you in your work yeah yeah I like that too. I love the emphasis on, you know, a partner because that's what it is. That's what Pet Partners is about too, is that it's not just about the animal. It's about, you know, you're supporting the animal in the process and very big on that of your dog needs to depend on you, needs to know that you're there for them, know that you're going to advocate for them, that if they're in a situation they're unfamiliar with, they should naturally want to look towards you for reassurance and being able to get that is such an important part of it. Yeah. You mentioned agility as part of building his confidence. What else have you found has really helped him in growing confidence? Just new experiences, new places. I I sometimes try to sit there and wonder why he gets so nervous around inanimate objects. And, you know, being a pandemic puppy, he stayed home with me while I was still doing school and I was doing my internship with therapy was all virtual. But I try to take him out, introduce him to things, go to, you know, Home Depot. So just continuously trying new things. If he's afraid of something, then I try to show him that it's okay and build up the confidence. 
just as many different things as we can try and different people. He's also a little nervous around really small kids, like toddler size. Thankfully, I don't work with small kids, but even just more exposure to things and not overly exposure, but just a little bit here and there so that he knows that he's able to do it and me supporting him along the way is a big part of it too. And lots of traveling and going places. We go hiking all the time. He's most confident out there. Unless there's sometimes a tree that like looks like a person covered in snow and he'll bark at that. I don't know why <laughs> him. It happens a lot. It just, it, the most random thing will freak him out. I don't know it's why. It's the abominable snowman, Kenzie. I don't know what he thinks it is. If it looks like it's a person or an animal, but it's not, he thinks it's so suspicious and he will always be afraid of it. Aww. I don't know why. Hiking is a really big one too. And he's happy to stop and see people and dogs. And it's a great area for training and gaining confidence. And you two completed the 52 hike challenge last year, yeah? Or are you working on it this year? About. We did really good with it until I moved from Denver back to Utah and I started a full-time job. And then my ability to get multiple (laughs) hikes in was just not happening. We just go as an enjoyable thing, not trying to, you know, force it or make ourselves go. It's just when we can and thoroughly enjoy it and try to, you know, work a little extra hard to do it. It's not always feasible. I know Copa's name has a really special significance for you. Do you want to share that? Yeah, so Copa's name is from The Lion King, and in Swahili it means heart. So if you ever watch The Lion King, all the names that are in The Lion King are Swahili, and they mean different things, like Simba literally means lion. So they had created a book, and they kind of had like a second part of The Lion King that never made it in the movies, but Simba had a son named Copa. And supposedly in this reality, Copa gets killed by the alternative lions. And that's why he's so protective over Kiara in the second movie. Uh, But Copa means heart. And I always really liked that name and just the significance that it had. And Lion King's also my favorite Disney movie. So when he was kind of picked out for me and they were like, yeah, this is a good fit. It was, I got pictures sent and he had a little white heart shape on his head. And I had already had the name Copa ideally picked out for a dog, like potentially. But at that point, I was like, okay, I was like, yeah, this is this is pretty meant to be like, he's got a little heart shaped white fluff on his head, which you can't really see anymore, because it's just fluff. It's not short. But yeah, it felt pretty meant to be with his name. And it's a little different. We get singing Copacabana a lot. It's a great theme song as well. It's such an appropriate name for a therapy dog too. Yeah, and lots of fun things with it. People get it wrong. Call him Koopa and that's fine. Call him whatever you want. I don't get Koopa. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Nothing wrong with that either. No, we'll take whatever. (laughs) He listens to whatever. What are you really looking forward to about being a therapy dog team? Just being able to maybe open another pathway to people that maybe they didn't have before. I've had conversations with current patients on how much they love animals, how much they love dogs, how much it's been helpful for them. And when you get people that are coming in, you know, first time meeting you and you expect them to open up, share your deepest, darkest secrets and having a dog there just really, again, if we're not even doing interventions, right, then having an animal there is very, very helpful to kind of open that up. And to kind of create the icebreaker, you know, be soothing in that way. Mm -hmm. And I always tell my boss that if people come more excited to see my dog than me, then that's great. I've done my job.
Yeah. Like if you come to your therapy session just to see Copa, cool. Whatever kids you want <laughs> for, I don't care. Yeah. I'm really, really excited to have him work with me to see, you know, the changes that he brings, the help that he can bring, and even just opening up people's minds to what animal assisted therapy is and getting more traction with that intervention because it is becoming more popular. Yeah. And people are realizing the benefits that it has. So I just hope to, you know, add to it and increase upon it. Yeah, I love that. What advice do you have for someone who's interested in getting started with volunteering with a therapy dog or working with their dog and the mental health professional? What are some things you've learned that you would recommend? Definitely just the relationship you have with your dog and if your dog likes other people as well. You know, there's always the basic training that I feel like you can do, but it's also just making sure that they enjoy that. I really did enjoy the pet partners. The online course is good. It kind of just gives the basic information, but I went to their in-person practicum. That was about eight hours. That was really helpful. I was really, really glad I went to that. They covered a lot of the stuff that just their online tutorial covers, but going in person and it's like the same. I don't think you even have to really pay extra. Maybe it's a little extra, but going in person was just so much better because we had someone there who has a therapy dog and was showing us you know, how to use it, different interactions, how to yeah. do things such as like, you know, getting around with someone with a walker, like someone with a walker tries to pet your dog. And it's like, no, 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 like come sit down. Cause we don't want people tripping over their walkers to pet the dog. Yeah. And it was just really cool to see the type of interactions, especially if you've ever seen a therapy dog lay next to someone in a hospital bed. Mm-hmm. It was really, really cool to see that there's, you know, so many little steps you wouldn't think about to take with it, but doing mm-hmm. the practicum, was really, really helpful in regards to just knowing the steps to do, whether you want to use your own dog, whether you want to train a dog, whether you want to use someone else's dog, or even they have therapy cats, they have therapy bunnies, they have therapy miniature horses, whatever (laughs) it may be, it kind of gives a really good intro to that. And even just further learning the difference between therapy animal, emotional support, service animal, and all the things that go into that as well. Love it. Well, I don't want to keep you here forever. We've been talking for a while and I could talk forever with you about this, but I know where to find you. And if someone wants to connect with you, they can follow along with your hiking and therapy adventures at Copa Doodle, right? Yep. K-O-P-A for those who don't know. (laughs) K-O-P-A Doodle. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Kenzie. It was really great to chat with you. Thank you. I can't wait to hear more about your program. Me either. (laughs) Thank you so much. See ya. I really hope you enjoyed this episode of Therapy Dog Talk. If you did, please do me a favor and leave a review and rating on the podcast platform of your choice. If you have a guest that you think would be a great fit for Therapy Dog Talk, send me an email at hello at therapydogtalk.com. Thank you so much, and we'll see you next week.